may be seated. We're in the midst of a short series on the eighth chapter of Romans. Today we'll look at Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. Romans 8 uh, is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I mentioned that last week, I believe, and, and there's a number of reasons for that. One, one of the reasons, I think, is perhaps that, that the Holy Spirit is so evident to us in Romans chapter 8. At least 18 times we see references to the Holy Spirit in this chapter. It could very well be considered uh, the chapter of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And, and it teaches us a lot about the Holy Spirit. It offers many very helpful correctives to us because I think oftentimes we have much wrong in our understanding of the Holy Spirit. We see in this passage today that, that it's by the Spirit that we put to death the deeds of the flesh. We see that we are, are to be led by the Spirit as we walk with Christ Jesus. And we see that the Spirit bears witness to the most wonderful of facts, that we are children of God. Now what exactly does that mean? Well, we see in today's passage, specifically, that for God's children, it means that we are obligated to God. It also means that we are heirs of the Father. And finally, it means that we are confirmed in suffering. We'll look at these three things here today in Romans 8. But before we do, let's turn to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Our Lord and our God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask that you would give us eyes to see this morning. Help us to know your truth. May we just glory in your grace. May we know Christ Jesus and him crucified, him risen, him ascended. And may we love you and love others for you have first loved us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow along now as I read from Romans 8, verses 12 to 17. This is the inspired word of God. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Have you ever been, well, I know we all have been, at some point indebted to somebody? some point we've all been indebted to somebody whether it's whether it's a case of being 
indebted to them because maybe they've, they've taught us something. And so by, by virtue of what they've taught us, we're, we're indebted to them because they've, they've filled us with knowledge and perhaps we need to share that wisdom with others. We feel that that, that is an obligation to us. Or, or perhaps it's a more, more literal financial indebtedness, right? If perhaps you, you borrowed some money from somebody so you could go buy something. Or even on a larger scale, you took out a mortgage so that you could buy a house. Uh, but you are then in debt to the bank, right? Uh, you know, you make that mortgage payment every month. And that's not just you being generous to the bank. It's not just you doing it out of the kindness of your heart. You do it because you are indebted to them. You have that obligation that you need to pay. As children of God, there's a very real sense in which we are obligated to him. For a number of reasons, children are always going to be obligated to parents. Uh, my children are, are obligated to me. There is, there is an authoritative obligation. I am in a position of authority over them. And so they are obligated to submit to my authority just by virtue of that authority that I've been granted by God. There is also a more crass financial obligation, really, if you think about it. I, I, I am the one who, who provides for them a house with the help of that bank, of course, uh, that, that I'm indebted to. You know, they have a roof over their head. They, they have clothes. They have food. They have all these things. I, I don't provide those for them, you know, to make them feel indebted, you know, because I want to get them in, in a snare of indebtedness to me. I do it out of love, but there's a very real sense in which, in which they are indebted to me, much the same way as I was indebted to my parents, and all of us are. There's also a relational obligation. As a member of a family... We, we are indebted to one another. We're indebted to one another. We, we owe one another family relationship that ha takes place within my household, where we all are obliged to live with one another's family members, but, but also within the family of God. We are obliged to live with one another, and, and we are obligated to one another. That is how a, a family works. But ultimately, and most especially, we are obligated to God our Heavenly Father. And as a result of all these reasons, there are certain things that the children owe parents. And, and we see here in verse 12, Paul writes, So then, brothers, we are debtors. Some versions say, so then we are under obligation. Paul wants to make sure we understand two things here. He wants to, to make sure that we are indeed under obligation, that there is something that is owed by us. But, but that's not all. He just doesn't want us to just know that we, we owe something, that we are in a place of obligation, but rather he wants us also to know to whom we owe that debt. To whom are we under obligation? And so he says, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Remember when Paul talks about the flesh here, he's talking about the, the sinful nature into which we are all born. That sinful nature that, that apart from Christ just drives us towards sin. Nobody needs to teach us how to sin. We do it naturally because that is the nature into which we are born. Paul says we're not <clears throat> indebted to that sinful nature no matter how much we seem to 
long to live that way, how much we're prone to live that way. We, we seem to live our lives oftentimes as if we owe our sinful nature something, as if we, we owe it to ourselves to pursue every desire we have. The world tells us that even sometimes, doesn't it? The world, the world speaks to us and it says you, you owe it to yourself to follow the desires of your heart. Right? That's the kind of thing we hear all the time from our world, isn't it? That you owe it to yourself. You, you ought to. Whatever those desires of your heart, whatever impulses you have at this moment, whatever, whatever push or pull or tug there is in your heart, you, you owe it to yourself to follow that. It's quite worldly advice in our age. But it's not biblical advice. For where the culture says whatever the heart wants, the heart wants, and you need to follow these impulses... The Word of God leads us in a different direction. John Calvin put it this way when talking about what the Scripture teaches us. He says, our hearts, apart from Christ, are perpetual idol factories. That we are, we are all the time in our hearts creating much the same as, as a factory here in Flint might create an automobile, might build that, might manufacture that. Our hearts are ever manufacturing idols that we might worship other than God. That's what they do apart from Christ Jesus. That is what the unregenerate heart naturally does. It's our natural impulse. Our sinful flesh does this. Jeremiah 79 puts it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So you see, we, we ought to joyfully follow not just the desires of our heart, but rather we ought to joyfully follow God's commands. But, but even if we can't find it in our hearts to joyfully follow God's commands, we should still follow God's commands. We should still seek to do what he tells us to do. We should still live as he would have us live, putting sin to death instead of indulging in our sinful desires. We, putting sin to death is a sign that the Spirit is alive in us. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You know, it's the reality that God wants what's best for us. We, we do know that, don't we? It's, it's not just a matter of him wanting to deprive us of fun. Sometimes I think we think in those terms, and certainly the world thinks of those terms, that God is some kind of cosmic killjoy who just doesn't want us to be happy ever and doesn't want us to enjoy anything. And so he tells us, don't do any of those fun things and just be, be sorrowful and, and gruff and unhappy all the time. That's what I want. No, that's not what God wants at all. Like any good parent, he longs for his children to be filled with joy. I have this conversation with my kids all the time. Usually whenever I'm uh, either either correcting them or, or disciplining them or perhaps even just, just laying some boundaries saying you can't do this that you want to do. We'll let you do this, but not this. And, and their natural impulse is to, to resist that. They, but, but I want to do this. And I tell them all the time, you do know, don't you, that your mother and I are on your side. That we want what's best for you. That we long for you to be filled with joy. Or that we want you to be happy. 
but at the same time, we have more wisdom and experience than you do. And so we are trying to impart that wisdom to you. And so when we set restrictions on our children and say, don't do these things, it's not a matter of us not wanting them to have any fun. And old though we are, we still remember what it was like to be kids. But we want what is best for them. Because we're parents who love their children. And if we as failing, faltering parents love our children in this way, imagine how much more this is so of a good and great and wonderful and holy God as he loves his children. He knows what's best for us. And what is best for us is to not indulge in sin that leads to death, but rather in, to, to follow after the truth that he has set for us. Instead of indulging in our sinful nature, we need to put it to death. And, and we read in verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Not just be alive, but you will live an abundant life, a full life, a meaningful life as God has intended us to live. He who has created us, who, who has before the beginning of all time known us and loved us and made us is now directing us how we are to live. We should live that way. And we can't do this by our own. We need to do it by his power, by his spirit. So the Spirit not only puts to death our human nature, the Spirit leads us, ultimately confirming the fact that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs of the Father. When you think of an heir, what, what do you think of? <clears throat> you know, I, I'm going to guess when, when somebody mentions the word heir or heiress, uh, the first thing you think of probably isn't somebody who's whose parents had a net worth of $3.27, right? We immediately, that's what I think of anyway, I think of somebody who's rich, right? You know, they, they have wealth, you know, and there's somebody who's an heir. And, and I think that's appropriate here because we are heirs of the one who has the greatest riches. And perhaps we think not just in terms of financial riches, but, but perhaps we think of, of a king, for our God is the king of kings. And what does the heir of a king get? Not just his wealth and his riches. But they are heirs of his kingdom. And so are we. Heirs of the kingdom of God. What wonderful blessing there is in this. That we are heirs of the kingdom of God. Verse 14. For all who are led by the spirit are sons of God. First of all I want to. I'm going to look at a couple different things here that, that might kind of trip us up. But first of all, I want to look at the idea of being led by the Spirit. Because I think we get that wrong a lot of the time. Uh, when we think of being led by the Spirit, I, I think we often think that what that means is, is we've got a tough decision we need to make, right? We've got a really hard decision. Uh, you know, am I going to have uh, mint chocolate chip or Rocky Road, let's say, okay? And, and, and I just say, God, I want to do your will. I want to do your will, so please lead me in this. Lead me in this and help me to choose the right ice cream. Now, now I, that's kind of silly. We obviously don't do that with ice cream. Maybe we do. I don't know how much you like ice cream. But, but we do that with our decisions, right? We say, I have this choice and this choice. Lord, 
leave me with this. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that that's wrong at all. I think that's a good thing to do, actually. But I think what we need to realize that, is that, that what it's talking about, being led by the Spirit here, isn't, isn't necessarily that kind of leading and direction. It, it can happen that we can get that kind of direction from God. It does happen on occasion. I'm not going to say it never happens. Uh, when, when I came here to Michigan some 11 plus years ago, it was a case of being led, I believe, in, in a very supernatural way. God working mightily and, and just kind of making it very clear that he was leading us in that. Uh, I, I've told some of you the story before, but basically I was getting ready to graduate seminary and, and didn't know where I was going to end up. And Aaron and I were talking one day. Uh, we had looked around St. Louis where we lived, wanted to stay there, couldn't find any jobs there. And I said to her, if we want to stay in the EPC, maybe we need to look somewhere else like Michigan. I know there's a lot of EPC churches in Michigan. I don't know where I had heard that before, but I had heard that. I don't know why I thought of that, but I thought of that. And so I mentioned that to her, and we both immediately laughed. Because we didn't want to move to Michigan. It's too cold in Michigan. Later that morning, I was talking with another seminary student who was getting ready to graduate. And I said to him, Ben, you know what we need? We're both looking for jobs, and we spend all this time sending your resume out and you pursue this we just need somebody to just call us up out of the blue and offer us something and tell us that they're they're looking for us and and asking us for for you know they're sharing with us their their references and oh wouldn't that be funny ha 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 we laughed wouldn't it be great if it happened that way i had those two conversations that morning i went home that afternoon and when i got home there was a message on the answering machine and it went something like this Hello, Pete. My name is Hal Polk. You don't know me, but I'm the pastor of Calvary Presbyterian Church in Flint, Michigan. We're looking for an assistant pastor, and I understand you might be looking for a job as an assistant pastor. I'd love to talk to you and see if we might be able to work out something where both of our needs might be met. Well, that got my attention, <laughs> needless to say. But that's not how God always works. And I would even say that's not how he normally works. When the Bible talks about God leading us by the Spirit, I think what it's more speaking about is leading us in the ways of truth and righteousness. Leading us in the ways that, that God speaks to us in his word. It's by opening up the pages of Scripture and seeing what God has to say to us in the Scriptures with our eyes and our heart being illumined by the Spirit of God, that he leads us and directs us. You see the tense of the verb there even, where it says we are led by the Spirit. It's actually a, you know, it could, could be translated, we, we are being led by the Spirit. It's an ongoing state. It's not just, you know, an iterative, iterative or, a, a, you know, it, we, we were led once and then led again and then led again, and then led again, and, and then another time. No, it's an ongoing sense. We live our lives in such a way that we are constantly led by the Spirit of God. And the way that that happens is by turning to his word and seeing what he has to say to us as the Spirit guides his people on the path of righteousness toward holiness, empowered by the Spirit 
realizing that oftentimes, if not primary, his direction is corrective, saying, no, stop doing that. You do this instead. So we need to be humble and receptive to what God has to say to us as his children if we are to be led by him. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And that's the second thing I wanted to point out. Mike trip us up here. It says sons of God. And about half of us in here say sons of God. Wait a second. Surely it should say sons and daughters of God. But I think there's a very intentional reason that it says sons of God here. Because in that cultural setting, who was it that was an heir but the son? And so what it's saying to us here is the most wonderful thing is that all of us, whether we are male or female, can become sons of God in that we are the heirs of God. That's what Paul gets at in Galatians 3.28, I think, when he's talking about the, the topic of sonship, and he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's not saying that these distinctions are completely obliterated. There's no more male or female anymore. No, we, we're still male and female. But what he's saying is that, that regardless of whether you are Jew or Greek, regardless of whether you are slave or free, regardless of whether you are male or female, you can become a son of God, an heir of God. Our status has changed. That's what happens is the Spirit leads us. He leads us, those of us who are heirs, leads us in righteousness. So we should be able to take a look at our lives. We should take a look at our lives and be able to say, how is my life different than it would be if Christ Jesus hadn't died for my sins? If Christ Jesus hadn't died for my sins, if I hadn't trusted in him, how would my life be different in my daily living? Would my actions be different? Would my, would my, my every day, the words I say and the thoughts I have and the way I relate to other people, these things should all be different because Christ Jesus died for my sins. If not, then, then perhaps I, I don't understand really what it means to be a child of God, to be an heir of the kingdom. first test, one person said, as to whether we are children of God is whether we are led by the Spirit. If you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now in 1918 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Donald Patterson was born to a single teenage girl. Unable to care for him, she placed him up for adoption. and He was indeed adopted by the Reverend and Mrs. Frank J. Scribner. They changed his name to Peter. And that is how my grandfather, after whom I am named, became a member of the Scribner family. It wasn't by natural birth. He wasn't born into the family. 
He was adopted. And we likewise cannot become members of God's family simply by being born into it. We are adopted as his children. That is how we become part of his family, both in terms of of legal standing and in terms of relational standing. We relate to him now, not just as, as God Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, although he is still these things. But he at the same time is our beloved Father. Not because of anything we've done, not even by virtue of our birth, but by virtue of his adopting act. We've received the spirit of adoptions adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba Father Abba, a Jewish word that, that you know, doesn't translate directly in English but essentially the closest thing we probably have is, is something like Papa or Daddy so that we can come to God the God of, of all creation the God who created all things who upholds the entire universe by the word of his power And and we can call him Daddy. A term of of affection and and endearment and intimacy that, that draws us into relationship with him. Far more intimate than the people understood it in, in an Old Testament setting where, where they understood God as the father of the nation of Israel, but, but there was a distance, so great a distance, that they wouldn't even say the name God because, because you know, he was other. But Jesus says when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. And he says here, the Apostle Paul, it's by the Spirit of God that we cry, Abba, Father. Well, just as being adopted is a legal state stand gives us a legal standing, verse 16 pertains to a, a legal statement as well. It says, The Spirit Himself bears witness that our spirit, with our spirit, that we are children of God. In a normal Jewish court, the evidentiary standard was quite simple. It says, by two or more witnesses is everything established. And the fact that, that we are children of God is testified to by two witnesses. It says here that, that our spirit and the spirit of God both testify to this truth that we are children of God. You know, it's a, a wonderful thing to be child of God to to follow in his footsteps that's what we are created to do that ancient times far more than today that's what children did they, they followed after their father if your father was a farmer then you became a farmer if your father was a carpenter like Jesus father then you would become a carpenter and so it is that we are to as the children of God follow after God and if we are going to follow after God, there's one who has followed him perfectly, and that, of course, is Christ Jesus, our Lord, who set aside his heavenly throne, who took on human flesh, who died for our sins and rose from the dead and ascended on high and sits at the right hand of God Almighty, even now where he makes intercession for us. But but while he walked on this earth for some three decades plus, he did so perfectly in every way. 
without error, without sin, walking as we are to walk. And so, if we are to follow in the footsteps of our God, we walk as Jesus walked. We will love God above all else. We will love others selflessly as he has selflessly loved us. And so through our love, we will show ourselves to be children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What a blessing. But there is one last thing. It's all been good news up to now. It's all been kind of happy up to now, hasn't it? But verse 17, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Some versions say we indeed we suffer with him. Nowhere does the Bible tell us that the will of God is this, your comfort. No. We're told in 1 Thessalonians the will of God is this, your sanctification, your, your growth in holiness. Right? But, but as we are sanctified, as we are made to grow in holiness, as we are conformed to the likeness of Christ Jesus, our older brother who has gone before us, we will see that, that this occurs increasingly in this life if we're led by the Spirit and ultimately in our glorification as Christ Jesus returns. But, but one of the means that he does it in this life is through our suffering. There will be suffering in each of our lives. God promises us as much. It will happen, first of all, because we live in a broken, fallen world. When Adam was in the garden walking with God, he chose to go a different way. And with his sin, all of creation fell. We live in a world that has been broken ever since. One day Christ Jesus will return. He will set all things to rights. It will be more glorious than we can possibly imagine. But until he returns, that is not the world in which we live. We live in a broken world. But you don't need to be a theologian or even a Christian to understand that, do you? You just need to look at the world around us, right? You just look at the world around us and it's evident, self-evident, that this world is broken. You look at the events that took place a week ago in Texas where 26 people lost their lives to a gunman in a church as they just looked to worship God. Now, I won't pretend to understand the particulars of why this had to happen to our brothers and sisters. I I wouldn't pretend to understand that. And we won't always know how it is that God is exactly working in and through our sufferings. But we can be sure that he is. You know, just two weeks ago, Pastor Frank Pomeroy of that church in Texas, whose own daughter was killed in the rampage last week, Preach from Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I read something that Ed Stetzer said about that. He said, after 
Losing a child, I'm sure the path mentioned in this verse doesn't seem so straight to Frank and his wife sharing it right now. As an ordained pastor with daughters around the same age, I'm not sure how these parents will cope. In this moment where my understanding cannot fathom their pain, the prayer is that they find mercy in their hope in Christ and love from his church. I think we can take Pastor Pomeroy's words and do the same. Trust God when things don't make sense. And often suffering won't make sense. Sometimes the suffering will come specifically because of our faith. Right? We've talked a lot about Andrew Brunson over this last year, being held in prison, falsely imprisoned because ultimately of his faith. He has gone back to the scriptures time and time again, no doubt, while he is there. The words of our Savior in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were there, who were before you. Lord Jesus' words in Mark 13, You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Not you might be hated. Not if you're unlucky, you will be hated. No, he says you will be hated for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the words of Peter, Peter of all people, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Take courage, take strength, rest in your faith. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So next time you're in the midst of trials, fixate not on those trials, but on your identity in Christ Jesus as a child of God. Realize that God doesn't always pull us out of our trials and just remove us from them and make everything right, but, but what he does promise to do is to come down with us and walk with us in the midst of our trials just as Christ Jesus came down and walked with us and walked for us and died for us and for our sins. God has told us, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you, God, are with me. Let us remember that truth. It's that truth that Andrew Brunson has clung to. It's the truth that we must all cling to. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comprehension, behind comparison. Let us remember that glory. Let us remember that glory that is ours to inherit and the standing that is ours even now as children of God. Our Heavenly Father, you at times call us to difficult things, to hardship and to pain and to suffering. We pray that in the midst of all those situations that you would indeed, by your Spirit, lead us and direct us and guide us and empower us, cause us to know your presence with us, and cause us 
to know that you are worthy of our all. The words we sung before, this is my Father's world, oh let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. May we know this truth. May we know that we are adopted as your sons. May we know that we indeed will share in your glory if we share in your suffering. For Jesus, you are worthy of our all. rise now as we sing our last hymn it's on an insert in your bulletin worthy of my all again these are words that were written this in these past months by andrew brunson from a prison in turkey uh, chris and uh, his sons are going to lead us here behind me and um, we know this is a new song so it might be kind of hard to follow along but we're going to do our best let's sing it to the glory of god
who gave himself for me. Here I am, you are worthy of my all. Indeed, he is worthy of our all. Receive now the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.